Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Today we remember and give thanks for St. Luke the Evangelist. It's good for us to pause on these occasions when the festival days rest on a Sunday. Not because we are somehow St. Luke was a better man than any other person, or somehow imagine him being in some higher place in heaven by any means, but it is remembering how God works wonders through his people. And especially in the case of Luke, we can see the wonders he did. And Luke would be the first to tell you, as his writings clearly show, that it's most certainly not about him, but it's all about Jesus, the one whom all the writings of scriptures point to. You see, you may recall him giving that account of the, of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, how they recognized him, the breaking of the bread, and how before that Jesus shared with them everything written about him in, the, in Moses and the prophets. So let us consider who exactly is Luke. We don't know a lot about him. Many of the apostles and the evangelists of the scriptures, tradition gives us some pretty good idea of what happened to them besides what is recorded in scripture. There's the historian such as Eusebius who wrote an account of the church history. So Eusebius began with the creation and went all the way up until his time. So things we know for sure about Luke, because these are the facts which scriptures themselves tell us. He is a companion of St. Paul. He was the one who was with Paul on his journeys, who wrote the Gospels. Actually, I should correct myself there on one point. The Gospels, like all the other Gospels, don't explicitly state who wrote them, but the church has unanimously declared from the earliest of times who the authors were. So there is no reason to doubt that the Gospel and the Book of Acts were written by Luke, the one who accompanied Paul in his missionary journeys, at least in part, and who was with him on at the end of his life. We heard how Paul wrote that to Timothy in his second epistle to his student and his protege. Beyond that, it's interesting how the scriptures are actually, or I should say the traditions, are fairly silent about him. There is some thoughts of what he, would, what he had done, that after he had finished writing the gospel in the book of Acts, that he, and after Paul had been martyred, that he went on to continue to preach the gospel in the Macedonia area. What I found interesting is apparently also according to tradition, Luke was not only a physician, but was a great artist. There is some early paintings of Mary, the mother of Jesus, which are attributed to him. And I guess there's even one that still exists that is claimed to have been painted by him. Again, whether that's actually the case or not, that you can decide as you study the histories and whether you trust the sources or not. But as we consider his gospel, we consider the book of Acts, what we see is a man who could not resist telling the story, telling what Jesus had done and how the work of our Lord and the work of the Spirit blossomed in the early church. 
Eusebius tells us that the reason why Luke wrote his gospel was at the request of Paul. Paul had gone out on his first missionary journey and had only the only gospel he had at the time was Matthew. Matthew, if you've read over it, you will notice it's focused very much on the Jews of Jerusalem. Someone who knows the Old Testament, someone who knows the sacrificial system. Paul apparently wanted one that was focused more outward to the Gentiles, that didn't rely so much on the prophecies and, the, and what would be known to the everyday Jew, but would explain it, would show who Jesus was as the Savior, not only to the Israelites, but to the entire world. If you may recall that Luke specifically talks about how this was written at the... Uh, with the assistance, financially, actually speaking, of one named Theophilus. Oh, beloved Theophilus, here I lay out an account of all the things that happened concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. An orderly account. Just as an aside, I would point out, we can see here that it's from very early on, there's an, actually an expectation about giving for people, for God's church. The offerings which we give are a confession of faith. And sometimes we throw out this tithe or this 10%. That's actually an Old Testament practice that for God's people in the New Age, the New Testament isn't always fitting. For some who don't have a lot, 10% can be a very big burden. We aren't called to give any specific amount, but as a confession of faith, that which is the first fruits, and that which is a confession of faith. Because on the other end... There are those who 10% would be but a drop in the bucket, who could give 10% without batting an eye. And what we saw here is that most likely Paul went to this Theophilus, by his name, a convert to the faith from the, gent from the Greeks, who was probably someone who was a bit wealthy, and said, hey, we have a need. Pointing out that, well, you might argue in the political realms whether the 1% should pay the lion's share or not politically. That's a debate for the politicians. In the church, we give as we've been given. The Lord has blessed you abundantly. One should consider, indeed, if the first fruits, how much of those first fruits should go back to the Lord, especially for the proclamation and the promotion of the gospel. Because of that gift, Luke put together what is the first history of the church, and more so is the proclamation of the gospel. We know what happened from the very moment that our Lord was conceived until the day he died, ascended to the right hand of the Father after his resurrection, and then sent forth his spirit into the church that the word would go out not only to Jerusalem and Judea, but to Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And the word continues to go out. It is an account of our Lord and Savior, the one who is not only God, but also man. While he doesn't use the words of John, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Through his writings, through the recordings of the miracles and the signs, the words of our Lord through the through the recording of his suffering and death, we know that here is the sinless one, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the one who died for your sins, was raised for your salvation. What we see with Luke 
is one who cannot but tell the truth, who can't keep it in. We don't know for sure, but there is a very likely chance he was among those 72 sent out by our Lord, as we heard in the reading today, that he went out with those who were called by our Lord and sent forth to take the word of God to the world, to those who are around. What we also see here is that as we consider St. Luke and we identify him as an evangelist, it's important for us to recognize that there are distinct offices of the church where men are called to proclaim that word publicly. It's the calling which I have been given through this congregation. It is one which is unique to that office. It is foundational to the church. It's not a position of power or authority in the sense of one where the pastor dictates what happens, but it is a place of servitude and of service where the calling is to be the one who speaks the word, a word that cannot be contained. I have to say, when I get up here on a Sunday morning, it is of one of the greatest privileges to tell you what you need to hear and a message that is so wonderful to hear. Where else can you proclaim a message of such grace and mercy that no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter where you've gone, the Lord loves you and he has forgiven you. That when you're struggling with your sins, when you are faced with temptations, he doesn't leave you in the lurch. He doesn't say, make it up and do better. That he is the one who gives you the strength by his spirit to face those sins, to reject those sins, and to walk away from those sins. That he is the one who never forgets you that he is the one who is your ever-present help in time of need. This is the message that Luke could not contain, that Peter could not contain, that the evangelist cannot contain. And our Lord has established the public ministries as the word goes forth, so that there are visible sites in this world where we can say, here is where the truth is found. It was once said a while ago that everyone is a minister, which isn't true. If you especially take that word minister as one who is called by the church to proclaim the word of God. As Paul points out, if we were all a mouth, how would we hear and how would we see? If we were all a hand, how would we walk? We all have our place, we all have our callings, we all have the work of the Lord to do. But it was our Lord who established that 72 were sent out, not 100,000 or 72,000 that were sent out. It was not everyone, but it was those who were called. And indeed, that is for the good order of the church. It is so that those who have been trained and certified by the church, those who have been found to be equipped to proclaim, are sent forth. Now, lest you think I'm letting you all off the hook, that I'm just saying that I should be doing all the work. First of all, that is by no means the case. Because while it is the calling of the pastor to preach the word publicly, and it is the calling of the church to support the pastor to preach the word publicly, it is the calling of the entire church to be a light in the world, to be the ones who draw others to the gospel. How is that done? It's not by standing on the corners and 
reading the scriptures or proclaiming the word of God is actually in some ways more simple and yet in many ways more all-encompassing because the work of God's people is to be at every moment ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. To share with those why it is you face the trials and troubles of this world without fear, without worry. Why it doesn't matter what comes tomorrow, whether it be another, another epidemic, whether it be a war, whether it be an election, whether it be whatever it is that we can stand firm in the full confidence that we know who is ultimately in control, that our Lord and Savior will never abandon us, but he has said, thus, evil, thus far shall evil go and no farther. And more than that, I will even take the sinful actions of man and will bring them to good. For all things work together for good for those who love me and are called according to my purpose. Our calling as we give a defense in the world is first and foremost to love our neighbor, to be there where they are needed, to help them in their time of, of trial and tribulation. It is to be in the world, to seek out those who are lost, to befriend those in need, to engage in the world. Quite frankly, this is first and foremost why we are in the world today, why we serve in so many vocations outside the church why it is critical to serve in vocations outside the church. We don't make our own colony or our own little group that abandons the world. We intentionally are in the world, which can be a trial, can be dangerous, is dangerous. But we don't go there alone. We go there in the spirit of our Lord. And while we don't always realize it, others see that hope in you. I don't think we, I should just back up a moment and mention, I know at least on a handful of occasions, I've had friends who are not in the church mention this to me. You know, it's not the first thing they say, like the first time we end up doing something together. But as those friendships build and you have opportunities, there's been several times it's been mentioned to me that they've been envious of me or that they find in me a hope that they don't understand. We don't see it because it is part of us. It is who we are. We are a light that shines in the darkness. And that light draws others. And like Luke, like Peter, like Timothy, like Eunice and Lois, like Ruth, like Isaiah, like David, like all the saints of the scriptures we know, men and women from the time of Adam until today. When we are asked, we can proclaim a word of comfort. Why do I have hope? Why am I at peace? Because Jesus died for my sins. More than that, he was raised for my salvation, and he has given me his spirit. I know that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and he desires nothing less than for all to know who he is to all to come to a saving faith. May we follow in the footsteps of our Lord. May we, like Luke and the others, be ready to give a defense and tell that story far and wide. For there is no greater message than that Jesus is your Savior, is my Savior, that because of him we live eternally. Amen. We rise.
And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.